0: It is Tuesday, the 21st of January. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is our second hour. If you missed our first hour, we had delightful conversations with Nick Pitts and Matthew Sorens, uh, and you can catch that as a podcast later in the day. You just go to myfaithradio.com, you check out the Mornings with Carmen page, or you just click on the word podcast and you can find it. Um, So I had an interesting uh, few days. I shared uh, this past weekend and a couple of days prior to the weekend and part of yesterday with um, 10, so there were a total of 11 of us, uh, cousins that were all in, you know, the one generation on my dad's side of, of the Fowler family. And let's just say that genetics, shared genetics, does not necessarily mean shared worldview. Now, you and I all know this from the households in which we live, right? We do not all necessarily um, uh, practice or or receive the faith of uh of those who came before us some of us have been evangelized into christianity out of families that did not believe in the gospel or had not been exposed to it and then we also um have uh children nieces nephews um grandchildren who do not believe in jesus and do not uh, are not recipients uh of the gospel in the same way that we are like they may have been exposed to it um but they have not received it into themselves. they have not accepted the free gift of god's grace in Jesus Christ um, and so we all know that genetics does not necessarily mean shared worldview, but spending you know four or five days with uh, with a group of people to whom you are genetically related but with whom you do not necessarily share eternity that is um that's a good reminder it's a good reminder of. The importance of sort of what i 'll just call close evangelism, that evangelism that needs to take place in our closest of physical relationships, and then also the the reality that as people are are raised in different places um, even by you know right brothers and sisters right I mean all of these all of these other women were raised by the sisters of my dad or his brother brothers and sisters of my dad. And yet, um, had, you know, we all had very different upbringings. And so I just, I just thought that was an opportunity today to think about um, those closest to us. So who in your family, maybe not an immediate family, but maybe go one layer out, who among your cousins, who among your nieces and nephews, who among your aunts and uncles doesn't know the gospel? And what does it look like to allow your life to be light and leaven? Um, What does it look like to cultivate the kinds of relationships where questions can be asked, where books can be shared, where podcasts can be recommended? What does that look like for you in your life and the conversations with people to whom you are genetically related but who do not share with you the blood of Jesus? So one one brief uh, exchange, I have uh, one cousin who uh, a couple of different times said, yeah, 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 I, I read you, I read you in the middle of a you know in a conversation like carmen you can stop explaining that like i get it that's what she was trying to say like i but but her language was i read you now that was unusual like that caught my attention because it was an unusual uh, turn of phrase But it reminds me that people are reading us every day, and when they are reading us, what are they getting? Are we communicating the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when other people are reading us today? So I ask almost every day, where in the Word are you? Um, Let's turn that around. As people are reading you today, are they getting the gospel? So you may be the only Bible someone else reads today. You may be as far exposed to the Word of God as as they get in their life. What are they, what's going to be their takeaway? If you're the Bible someone else reads today. When we come back, uh, we're going to be talking with Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to talk about this news out of China, now spreading elsewhere, um, of of a virus about which we all need to be aware, Um, particularly, apparently, as Asians are traveling for the Lunar New Year coming this Saturday. All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org. Um, Brett. Okay, I'm just going to admit to you that this is a little um, chilling uh, to read about this virus. I'm not even going to try to. I'm not going to try to say the word until I hear you say the word. So, what's going on, and why should we be concerned, or should we be concerned?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, happy Tuesday, Carmen. Great to be on the happy radio Tuesday. with you.
0: Tasty
2: Tuesday. It uh, it is Tasty Tuesday or Taco Tuesday, depending on your preference. But uh, hey, it's always good. But uh, this is interesting. So in China, as you may have heard in the news, we have what we call a novel or novel, just meaning new coronavirus. And keep in mind, the coronavirus isn't something that's new. Uh, If you remember back in 2003, we heard about the severe acute respiratory syndrome, the SARS virus that broke out uh, that Mm. really only affected about eight people in the U.S., but Uh, caused about 8,000 to 9,000 exposures and less than uh, 800 deaths. Then we also have ongoing another version of the coronavirus, which we call MERS, which is the Middle Eastern version of this, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. And so this is a new one that came out of China in Wuhan City. Uh, And the CDC is reporting right now uh, more than 40 cases, approximately two deaths associated with it, with some cases that have been exported, meaning people that were in Wuhan City had returned back to Japan and Thailand. Uh, where the viruses have been identified. And so, of course, there's ongoing investigations. Uh, There's some suggestion that they can identify where it's coming from, maybe a large seafood and animal market there in Wuhan City. Uh, But of course, it's a growing public health concern, especially as you mentioned before we started with the Chinese New Year upcoming.
0: All right. So um, I will admit to you, I would have to do a little research on the Lunar New Year to really get a grasp on what's going on. Um, in terms of of people movement around the world and the need to be in different places to celebrate it. Um, uh, but when I think about the way a virus is transmitted, can you remind us about that? Because we're hearing today that, you know, there's there's evidence now of human-to-human transmission, so you don't have to go and eat the seafood. You could just be exposed to a person who has contracted the virus. So remind us how viruses are spread and the difference between um, something that's viral and something that's bacterial?
2: Sure. Now, Or it's maybe great that's question. the same
0: thing. You know, see there, I'm, I'm just, again, yeah, just tell yeah, us the difference. The,
2: the <laughs> process of transmission is, is an interesting one. So a virus is commonly between touch or secretion. So somebody has a cough, a cold, a sneeze or something like that. And then, of course, those viral products get aerosolized and people can go ahead and pull them up. If somebody sneezes on a surface that hasn't been cleaned and you touch it within a certain duration of time. Of course, if you then subsequently touch your face, uh, it is not uncommon for you to go ahead and have exposure to that underlying virus. And so, you know, the main thing to keep in mind is when you're looking at these severe respiratory illnesses, it's just like we see with our common cold, but sometimes they can go ahead and cause more problems. Typical things like fever and cough and shortness of breath are going to be the common symptoms. And because of this issue, whether people are traveling from Wuhan City or whether their people are traveling, as we know, Millions of people travel every single day. And so starting January 17th, the uh, CDC said, hey, every airport in the U.S. that's receiving direct flights from Wuhan City are actually screening passengers right now regarding any symptoms to go ahead and try to keep an eye on this process. As it relates to any one of us, this is the same type of precautions that we have during cold and flu season. The simple things that we all know, which are good hand hygiene, making sure that you wash your hands really well. Make sure that you disinfect things around your house that are heavily touched items like doorknobs and remote controls. And the one that everyone forgets, their cell phone.
0: And if you are a radio host, every once in a while, wipe off your microphone.
2: Good point. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> OK, so um, I I I don't even know. This might be um, a surprise to you, but I would like to talk about what I just read, this new CDC data, about 15 percent of U.S. adults, only 15 percent is this correct? Is this correct? Like, then we're talking about inactivity. We're talking about the percentage of us who never do anything active. Like, I find that kind of stunning. Is it possible that 15% of the American population is literally inactive? And if so, like, how do we get ourselves and our neighbors and our kids and our parents moving again? Could we have that conversation when we come back from the break?
2: Absolutely. be happy to engage in. All
0: right. So I am talking with um, Dr. Brett Nick. Of the Christian Medical and Dental Association, we're going to talk after the break about the importance of getting moving, um, because apparently 15% of U.S. adults are literally physically inactive, like not moving ever during their leisure time. We'll be right back. You're my defender. Talking with Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association, um, CMDA is the largest faith-based healthcare professional organization in the country. They also have a student version of CMDA, so um, we really just encourage you if you work anywhere in the healthcare um, sector to connect with them at cmda.org. Um, all right, Brett, you um, you are an ER doc. You see, my guess is a lot of folks who are struggling with, um, uh, with all kinds of things that are related to the fact that they don't move enough, right? And so there's all kinds of um, reasons that our bodies need to be moving. And one of those is just our primary health. So talk with us about the need to be moving, even as we're reading these statistics that some 15% of American adults, like literally are inactive um, in, in any kind of leisure time.
2: It's baffling, is it not? Fifteen percent of the U.S. population, according to the CDC, are inactive, meaning they don't do daily activities beyond what is required inside the home. Uh, And it's fascinating because if you think about health, exercise is a pillar of good health, just like we have the balancing of of good rest and we have the concept of good eating, uh, the spiritual aspect to go ahead and, and fill the mind and the soul. But think about this. If you eliminate the capacity for exercise, and you, even though you have been gifted with the ability, a healthy body, to do this, no longer are you creating the natural endorphins in your mind to allow for clarity of thought. In addition, without those natural endorphins being used routinely, especially through exercise, many people fall into things like depression, and we know that's a growing issue within the U.S. Uh, in, in addition to that, though, think about not just with exercise and the natural endorphins, the positive reinforcement to oneself that comes through this as well. And again, you start looking at this, you could get into the health aspects, which is, oh, my goodness, if I don't have good cardiovascular health, then I'm going to be at risk for heart disease. If I am not being regularly active, then I'm prone to obesity. And through obesity, I may have issues with diabetes. Well, if I add diabetes and I add obesity, then I'm going to have issues with hypertension. And if I have issues with high blood pressure, then I'm looking at heart attacks and strokes and kidney disease. And you can see why this is so concerning.
0: So one of the conversations that, um, well, there's a few conversations that emerge out of this when I am talking with, with my friends. One would be just simply the personal responsibility to be a good steward of the temple that the Holy Spirit is residing within. So when we're talking with other Christians about this, there is a stewardship of the body conversation to be had. Um, as members of a society, there's another conversation to be had, and that is that we all share the burden of the cost of the of the health care that's related to um, our neighbors being inactive. So take either one of those that you want and um, and talk about, you know, this as a driver of health care costs, um, but then also, you know, the, the conversation about the body being a temple of the Holy Spirit and our stewardship of it.
2: Boy, I tell you, I mean, these are incredibly, incredibly important conversations to have the concept around personal responsibility, the concept around spiritual responsibility. And for a man of faith like myself, it's difficult for me to separate the two because God has created our bodies in a unique and amazing way to flourish and live abundantly. And that includes being able to get outdoors and enjoy the amazing environment that God has created. Think about the ability to go for a walk for those who can't do this. But to be able to go for a walk and on a cold one, on a cold. Uh, winter morning, be able to see the sunrise, be able to walk around and feel the Christmas in the air, to be able to go to maybe a park nearby or otherwise, that level of engagement not only fills you physically, but fills you spiritually. But at the same time, the physical responsibility around health, this is not about body shaming. This is about the responsibility to take care of what you've been given, which is an incredible, incredible gift. And when you look at that, there is a responsibility because we all know that if we look at the cost of obesity, it drives the cost of healthcare, And when you look at the many of the countries that we are comparing, oh, this is what the U.S. healthcare system should look like. If you look at the rates of obesity in those countries, it's incredibly low. And so we are really comparing apples and oranges unless we as a society want to take this very personally and say, I am responsible for my body. I'm responsible for the physical nature of my body. I'm responsible for the spiritual nature of my body. And of course, the mental aspect of that builds in between the two.
0: Okay. And increasingly, as um, as we take responsibility and we want to do things like, oh, I don't know, count our steps. So let's just say, you know, my phone tells me that I should be taking 10,000 steps a day. And I say to myself, well, I might not want to carry my phone to track that. And so I get a fitness tracker. Um, let's talk a little bit about fitness trackers, if we can, um, at this intersection of the way technology can help remind me. But also, I'm reading more and more um, that that not just technology companies are interested in the information on my fitbit but like pharmaceutical companies are interested in the information that they might get from my fitbit but also my fitbit might be a great indicator that i'm coming down with the flu like there's all kinds of uh, of things about these um external devices that we might talk about so i don't know an upside and a downside to an external fitness tracker
2: i tell you they're amazing i mean you think back in the day when you had the old pedometer where you put it on. It was a little clicking device that went up and down as you took steps to what you have today. And the technology is amazing. So as you pointed out, when you look at artificial intelligence and you look at the concept around big data that is out there, that is being culled by insurance companies, by uh, pharmaceutical companies, they can not only tell you how active you are, but they can tell you whether you're filling your prescriptions or not. They can tell you so much information. And now when you look at these fitness trackers, if you use them routinely, especially those that have the ability to identify heart rate and activity, they also start noticing trends. And so if all of a sudden there's changes in your heart rate patterns, indications that maybe your body's under a stress state, it says, hey, you may be getting sick to what you alluded earlier. I think the, ca- the, the caveat with this, though, is establishing a routine. And whether you're dependent on a device to tell you what you're doing, you can do the simple things that you already know to be true, which is simply, if you have the capacity to take the stairs instead of an elevator, do it. If you're at a grocery store, don't wait an extra five minutes for a front front line parking spot. Park in the back of the parking lot and just enjoy the walk through. Of course, be careful, especially at this time of year with snow and ice, but walk through the parking lot. If you're going through a grocery store, know what you're going to get so that you don't buy excessive things. But at the same time, make sure that you enjoy the walk and, and engage in those things. And if you have the ability to go to a gym or to be outside on good weather day, Bring somebody along for conversation that makes your walk that much more enjoyable. You're not worried about your steps, but you're able to engage in conversation uh, around things that really matter. And you had pointed out in an earlier session today the value proposition of conversation with people around things that really matter. And if it's family or friends, what are those missing conversations you should have? Incredibly healthy for your mind while you're out walking, incredibly healthy for your heart.
0: All right. I just love talking with you. It's a great encouragement. It's very stimulating. Um, That is Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can check out what they're doing at cmda.org. Thank you so much again today.
2: All right, Carmen. You have a wonderful day. Great chatting with you.
0: You too. It's always a great encouragement. All right. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint. So sometimes we sort of lose sight of who we are and we imagine ourselves as like disembodied souls or we imagine that we are only what we think or you know frankly we reduce it to you know you are what you eat um or you are what you own you are not what you own you are not just what you think you are not just what you eat you are not just what you imagine um but these conversations about what it means to be human and then what it means to live as, um, as people who are bearing the image of God into the world today. Stimulating conversation, important conversation, lots of confusion around this subject today, so I'm thrilled to be talking with Dr. Owen Strand of Midwest Baptist Theological Seminary about his new book, Reenchanting Humanity. That's up next, here on Morning with Carmen.
1: This is Max Locato. He sat near a gate called Beautiful, The man, however, was anything but. He couldn't walk, but had to drag himself about on his knees. Peter and John looked at him and said, Look at us! The thick, meaty hand of the fisherman reached for the frail, thin one of the beggar. Peter lifted the man toward himself. The cripple stood and began to shout, and passersby began to stop. Peter explained that faith in Christ leads to a clean slate with God. And what Jesus did for the legs of the cripple, he does for our souls, brand new. An honest look led to a helping hand that led to a conversation about eternity. Works done in God's name long outlive our earthly lives. Let's be people who stop at the gate. Let's look at the face until we see the person. This is Max Locato.
0: To be joined today by Owen Strand. Owen, um, we're going to talk today about your new book, Reenchanting Humanity, but how about you just introduce yourself to our listeners um, as a starting point?
3: Yeah, thank you very much, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Uh, I teach systematic theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm originally from coastal Maine, uh, a, a state, as many people will know, where there are more moose than people, but I have since migrated to the heartland um i love I love teaching theology. I run a center called the Center for Public theology here have a podcast called City of God uh with apologies to augustine uh it 's on itunes and i uh i ha- i'm married and have three children ages five eight, and eleven so those are some of the main things about me
0: yeah and so that ending point is probably most days the beginning point right Absolutely. i mean most mo- most days the primary thing is uh is being a husband and a dad. But um, so we're going to talk today about this new book. And um, it's really, I mean, it's exciting, Reenchanting Humanity. I think that we begin the conversation with a conversation about disenchantment. Um, have we become disenchanted as people?
3: Yeah, I think we have. We've been told in different settings that we are blobs of cells. We've been told that we're nothing more than matter. And we've been told that our body has no real connection with our identity. So if you bring these things together, if you're working off of the Wi-Fi of secularism and kind of skepticism or atheism, depending on the system involved, you recognize that lots of people today do not believe that their humanity has any greater purpose or any greater meaning. Their body isn't telling them anything about who they are fundamentally. These kind of issues are swirling all around us today. What I think it leads to is yes, the disenchantment of humanity. In other words, we think we're nothing more than matter and we don't think our lives have great purpose and we've altogether lost the very starting point of the Bible's doctrine of humanity, namely that we're made in the image of God. Those are two very different starting points, God making us in his image in Genesis one, and secularism telling us we're nothing more than a clump of cells, and therefore it doesn't matter if we're aborted, it doesn't matter if we're euthanized, it doesn't matter if we wanna mangle our body because there's no greater meaning. Two massively different starting points today, and I'm, I'm here to try to uh, uh, show the difference and articulate uh, the importance of the Christian view.
0: And when we talk about the Christian view, we're talking about matter mattering, and not just matter, but me as matter, and as a particular kind of matter, um, specifically address the this, this issue that my matter isn't just material, that I am an image bearer.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we are trained to think today that um, there's no script in our body. There's no wisdom from God, in other words, in the design of men and women, manhood and womanhood. And so what What that eventuates is the belief that um, we don't really have any kind of script for our life more broadly. We just make up our own life. We We make up value as well. We don't have intrinsic value given us by God, given us by the Creator. We have to go out and accrue extrinsic value, in other words, value that is from others. When in reality, the dignity and the worth and the beauty and the goodness, uh, all of it we could ever seek in all of those categories is given to us already as bearers of God's image. So that's why we're talking in the book about re-enchanting humanity. Um, we, we have two real elements to that that I'm trying to, to unfold. First, to tell everybody out there that we're image bearers, that God made us in his very likeness. So we're a little picture of the living God and thus have a ton of dignity and worth. We've fallen, however, in Adam. So we've all become sinners and now we are destined for hell uh, by nature. So the second word that enchants humanity that we especially need post Adam is is the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus comes to earth. He is the true image of God he is the one who dies on the cross and rises again from the grave to give us life and so that's the second enchanting truth i would argue that brings humanity to where god would have us be
0: okay and so when we have this this image when, when we overcome the image issue right, when we when we get to where we understand that image is everything in the real sense not just in the marketing sense um yes. and when we when we understand that jesus is the true image and that I mean, even in his incarnation and certainly in his resurrection, this idea that the body matters uh, and that that the physicality of life matters in addition to spirituality like he's it 's all of those things tied up together in this conversation, um, but once we get to that place of understanding, we understand that we live in a gospel universe, we understand that. You know, we were created in perfection, that we're fallen, that we're redeemed in Christ, that that's the only way that that redemption is made possible. What difference does that doctrine make?
3: It makes all the difference because instead of life not having purpose and vitality to it, which, by the way, is where a ton of people around us are, Um, in America, as you well know, we're facing this opioid crisis. We're seeing suicide rates be very high we're seeing divorce rates be high uh we're seeing families struggling tremendously these and other uh dimensions of suffering show us that people all around us frankly don't think that their lives matter they do not have the driving purpose they do not have hope namely because they are a sinner uh condemned and and they need god's forgiveness through christ but when you when that um when that switch flips. And then you understand that you are a being made by God Himself and that you are redeemed by Jesus Christ through repentant faith. What happens then is that your whole life begins to matter. You see that everything matters. It's it's not that there are certain precious moments in your given week where you know you draw near to God and the rest of the week you're thousands and thousands of miles away from Him, and your daily goings-on don't count. No, as a Christian, even eating and drinking, First 1 Corinthians 10.31, is to God's glory. What that means then, Carmen, is that all of my life matters. The, the way I steward my body matters. The way I use my mind matters. What I do with my hands, the, the vocation I take on matters. The way I interact with my neighbors um, matters. Every single thing you could chart out, you could list out, matters to God and is an opportunity to worship God and give Him glory. If you want, if you want to give people meaning and purpose and hope, that's where it is. So,
0: what I, one of the things I really appreciate about, uh, in the book, is reenchanting humanity: a theology of mankind. Owen Strand is the uh, is the author. One of the things I really appreciate, Owen, and we can talk about this when we come back from the break. This isn't just systematic theology. This is applied systematic theology. This is walking out my systematic theology in the real living of, of these days. I'm going to continue this conversation with Owen Strand. We're talking about re-enchanting humanity, and we'll be right back.
1: We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe
3: in the Holy Spirit us new
0: life. Continuing my conversation now with Owen Strand, we are talking about his new book, Reenchanting Humanity. Owen, this isn't just um this isn't just systematic theology. It is that. But it's not just that. It is applied systematic theology. It's how the faith is walked out in the mind and in the life of a believer.
3: Yeah, I, I wanted to try to connect. The truths that we find in Scripture, and thus the doctrine we construct, to the real questions that we face every day. So it's not an ethics book, it's not a spirituality book per se, but it is it is a theology book that is aimed at at Christian uh, transformation. In other words, if we're out here, um, you know, trying to slice and dice theology into nice little doctrinal meals, but people never are able to take that truth and and put it to work. I'm not sure what we're in business for. So yes, I'm very, I'm very keen in this anthropology in reenchanting humanity. I'm very keen to try to show that this is absolutely uh, explosive material—not my material, but but God's material. The Word of God uh, is what we need as human beings to thrive and to flourish and to be remade. All this culminates, of course, in Christ, the true man. All of us, Carmen, are fully human. As human beings, I argue in the book by virtue of being image bearers. There's a lot of discussion in theology circles over what the image is. Is it a trait? Is it something that waxes and wanes? Is it something we lost in the fall? I believe it's actually something that holds steady, just like the earth hold steady in its identity, even with something as bad as the fall happening, so the identity of humanity, who God made us to be in his image, holds steady. So we're fully human. The The child with Down syndrome that we see is fully human. Um, the, the elderly person in the nursing home who can't care for themselves any longer, fully human. Uh, the child in the womb, fully human as they are developing. Um, and yet... We all need to be remade in the image of Jesus Christ, the true man. He's the one who shows us what humanity truly is. So so there's another concept where all this has cash value, Carmen, as you're bringing out. Um, People think that true humanity today, in so many words, is kind of being authentic to yourself, following your feelings. In this book, I'm trying to say graciously, speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your feelings. In so many cases, follow the Word of God. Follow Jesus, the true human, and be remade by Him. So,
0: you know, I'll just admit to you that for a person who is trying to bring you know all of this to bear on headline news, I look at trends that I know are coming in twenty twenty conversations. Um, when we revisit, let's see the Ro- let's say the Roe v. Wade decision of the Supreme Court related to um, abortion. Um, we could have an abortion rights conversation, or we could have a conversation about, hum- about being human and when we become human. And that is a different conversation. And if as Christians, we could not only have those conversations ourselves, but get into conversations with others that are right and righteous, where we're on the right side of the conversation in terms of what does it mean to be human um, and what does being human mean and why, then, should that affect our relationships and, therefore, our laws? Um, I, I feel like that's the kind of equipping that Christians need today.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't know that many believers would know to splice and dice like you just did, frankly, you know, and, and talk about the meaning of humanity. Frankly, we're in such a therapeutic and feelings-driven culture that I think a lot of Christians, or at least professing Christians, might get a little hamstrung if they hear, well, I just feel that this is right for me, whether, whether we're talking about abortion or almost anything else, whether we're talking about a, a gender transition or leaving a spouse and children um, or all sorts of behavior. When in truth, when we go back to the Word of God, we find the solid ground that we need to engage in all these uh, these conversations and these major questions of the age. So. So these issues drive back. You're you're quite right. They drive back to what does it mean to be human? If you can't answer that question in a substantive biblical way, though, if you're not moored to Scripture, you're going to have a ton of trouble defending life. You're going to have a ton of trouble um, helping people who are experiencing gender dysphoria and need to be called to repentance. You're going to have a ton of of trouble advocating for justice in the public square in a meaningful way that's not secular. So, yeah, we, we've got to go back to basics on so many issues, go back to the doctrine of creation, go back to the doctrine of the fall, and and go back to the doctrine of, of Christ, the true man, Christology as well.
0: And I really I appreciated how you framed that in, in answer to a person who is saying, well, I feel, I feel, I feel. You actually, you probably did this unconsciously, but you said, in truth— and then you laid out, you know, what reality is. I think that we live in a culture where so many people are just actively deluded about so many things. That as Christians, one of the things we need to be- become more confident in is answering those feeling statements with, "Well, in truth," and then lay out for them uh, reality. Um, I, I think that, uh, and I think that's what you've done in this book. I mean, I reenchanting humanity sounds like it's going to be um, a little bit whimsical. Um, it is not. It is straightforward and serious and um, really meaty. I love that you address issues of sexuality, race and ethnicity, technology, justice, um, and that ultimately the whole thing is about and then directed toward Christ.
3: Well, thank you, Carmen. That's very that's very kind. Um, we and, and going back just a minute to to the point we're on here um, quickly we don't we're not scared of feelings as christians and as a theologian as one is trying to use truth driven language and recognize that we're in a we're in a truth driven faith here um, god is the one who made feelings god gave us a mind god gave us a heart god gave us these deep affections that surge in us sometimes almost even beyond what what we're able to handle right god made us this way it's all though a matter of putting things in proper order and um synthesizing massively here we 're in a we 're in an age that has effectively displaced truth and crowned feelings as that which drives things that 's true frankly, even in different dimensions in church life in christian circles, and, and so we don 't need to become these kind of grim. Truth warriors. Uh, we need to be those who, as I said a minute ago, I, I think, strive to speak the truth in love. None of us is perfect in doing this or in writing these things out, me very much included. And yet, you know, that's the call we're trying to heed.
0: Absolutely. All right. The book is Reenchanting Humanity. The author is Owen Strand. Owen, if people were going to um, be directed one place to find you on social media or online, where would you prefer that be?
3: Ah. An interesting question in 2020. Wow, it's weird to say that. Uh, Twitter is probably the place to go. It's where I'm most active. It's at O-S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. So no one's going to get that now, but that's it.
0: All right. Well, but that's because your last name is not pronounced in the same way that it is spelled. And so um, just, you know, just for fun, we're going to spell it again. Um, so we're talking with Owen Strand, but that's spelled S T R A C H. A N, and you can find him on Twitter at O Strand S T R A C H A N. Did I get it?
3: You got it! Wow. There you Impressive. go.
0: Hey, Owen. Thank you so much. Re enchanting humanity. Great book. Uh, thank you for all that you're doing um, every day at Midwestern.
3: Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate your work.
0: Absolutely. We'll be right back. So as we enter into this day that the Lord has made, let us enter into it as people who are rejoicing. Um, Let us also um, enter into it recognizing that we are responsible to read the signs of the times in which we live. We are a people who are um, called to be looking up um, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, but also looking up in terms of the future that God has already declared in advance. And so, you know, God makes all kinds of promises in the Bible, many, many, many hundreds of which have already, like, come to pass. They're already, we know them to be true because they have, in fact, happened. But there's more than a thousand other things that God says in the Bible, promises that God makes that have yet to happen. And many of them have to do with the second coming of Jesus. And so when you think about what you are looking forward to today, like literally looking forward to, are you looking forward to the return of Christ? I mean, are you looking forward in your life to the return of Christ Um, and are you looking forward to the return of Christ? And if not, let me invite you to spend some time in the Word of God exploring the promises that God has made about the second coming of Jesus. This is actually not a thing to fear. As Christians, this is a a wonderful thing to anticipate, and it's going to happen. And so um, I I suppose my, uh, my thoughts related to this were sparked today um, by the death of a, of a really popular end times televangelist. And, um, and, and it sort of reminds me that there are those of us who don't talk about this very much. But Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Are we living in hopeful anticipation of the second coming of Jesus? Are we living as people who are prepared to die? And are you, um, are you like really excited about the kingdom of heaven? Uh, on earth as it is in heaven? Like, are we walking our faith out today in the world in ways that uh, don't just declare the goodness of the kingdom of God, but actually make it manifest by our presence as agents of grace and ministers of reconciliation and even ambassadors of the very kingdom of heaven in the world today? All right, those are some marching orders today, even as we uh, declare, come Lord Jesus. Let's all uh, look up. Have a great day and God bless.